Hi, I'm Sam Smeltzer, and you're listening to the Heartworker Book Club Podcast, where we talk about the powerful cultivation practice of reading and writing to inspire both personal and professional growth. We chat with authors about their stories, their books, and the art of the written word. Welcome to the club. I'm so happy you're here. Hey there, welcome to the Heartworker Book Club podcast. I'm so excited that you are here. Today, we're going to feature another author for you. This is our second and final author of the season before we get into book club that is starting next month. What, what? That's what you're here for is that book club. So excited. But my author today is Becky Morrison. She was brought to us from Amy Lindrum, who is a favorite on the Heart of It podcast. So if you haven't checked out those episodes, make sure you check that out. Amy's actually an author of a book called Create Magic at Work, which is a great little read for anybody who's interested in starting to integrate magic into the workplace. But Becky Morrison is the author of a book called The Happiness Recipe. And what really enticed me about Becky, besides the great stuff, the good content that's in this book, is her writing process. I'm always looking for people who have similar kind of experiences as I did with writing, because I think there's this huge myth when it comes to writing a book that it's this long agonizing process, that it's really difficult to birth. I'm not going to say it doesn't have its challenges. I hate editing my books like most people who uh, are writers. However, um, the way that Becky's book came into the world was very similar to how From Heart to Heart came into the world for me. And that was really us letting go not resisting and letting it flow. And that's when really awesome stuff comes into the world. That's when we're able to really manifest some beautiful, tangible works of art, which is what writing is. It is these beautiful works of art. And that's how I view all of my books. Um, and so I was really excited to be able to share another perspective to you the other thing that I think is fascinating about Becky is the timing of when this book came into the world. And you're going to hear all about that in this interview because we're going to dive into her writing process and then also dive into the helpful tips and content that's in this book um, and why it could be a personal retreat or a personal development plan for pretty much anybody uh, if you're working on yourself. So before we get into that, I'm going to read you her official author bio because as I mentioned, when we did Ted's interview back in the day, we put a lot of effort into writing the back cover of these books, but also um, what our author bios are that you get to see these glimpses that kind of establishes our credibility. So part of this podcast is I want to make sure that I highlight those things. So Rebecca C. Morrison is a mom, wife, and lawyer turned happiness coach, a graduate of well. Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can say this. Wellesley, Wellesley College and Georgetown Law. She also received an executive coaching certification from UC Berkeley, which is where she met Amy Lynn Durham. Rebecca worked in finance and big law for over 20 years before starting a business doing what she loves, helping other people become happier and more successful. 
Rebecca spends her days helping clients uncover their own happiness recipe by applying the principles of priority-aligned living. Having shared these tools with people both informally and formally over the past two decades, she is thrilled to be sharing them with the world in her first book, The Happiness Recipe. And so that's a perfect lead in to reading the back of the book of the happiness recipe. So let's, let's listen to the blurb that uh, Becky Morrison has written for her book. We are born to be happy somewhere along the way. Our lives get cluttered to find your recipe for happiness. You need to know what matters most to you have strong beliefs to support taking the necessary next steps and actually do the kinds of things you want to while letting go of the rest. You also need to be willing to share your desires with the world, something that is often challenging. This is where the happiness recipe comes in with actionable steps for closing the gaps that are often present along the path to happiness. Rebecca Morrison shares insights on how to start living a happier life starting right now. By decluttering your days of the shoulds and the have tos and focusing instead on what actually matters, a road toward fulfilling joy will be laid before you. No matter how busy or overwhelmed you feel, this book will help you identify what has been standing between you and your happiness so you can focus your energy on changes that will meaningfully impact your existence. The Happiness Recipe is a grounded, approachable, and tactical guide to finding joy by sharing the tools necessary for understanding what matters most to your happiness. Rebecca Morrison gives you the key to believing in and achieving the kind of happiness that is possible for everyone. So without further ado, let's get into this interview with Becky Morrison talking about her book and her writing process for the happiness recipe. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Heartworker Book Club podcast. I am pumped today because we are bringing to you another guest author. She is the author of the book called The Happiness Recipe, and her name is Becky Morrison. Becky, you want to say hi? Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me here, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. And Becky's not a stranger to us because she's actually been a guest on the Heart of It podcast. And she also was a referral from one of our favorites, Amy Lynn Durham. So she is, she's like extended family and we're excited that (laughs) we're finally, yeah, we're finally, we're happy to finally make the connection. But one of the things that obviously I love when I find someone who's a fellow author um, and in particular, I think when we talked Becky offline, you really kind of hit my heartstrings, no pun intended for heart, but uh, you really kind of hit my heartstrings because your manifestation of your first book, um, very similar to how I wrote a book. Um, And, you know, why don't we just jump right into that writing process? So how did you end up doing this mass accomplishment that so many say they're going to do, but don't usually get there? I kind of joke with people that it happened by accident, Um, (laughs) but that's kind of how it did. So uh, I um, opened my own, what intended, what I intended to be a coaching and consulting business in January of 2019. And then I got a coaching certification, which I started in October of 2019 and completed in 
basically early March of 2020. You can see where this is going already. And (laughs) my plan had been to sort of refine what I wanted to focus on from a coaching perspective, my coaching framework, my process by going out and um, doing some sort of lunch and learns, a lot of in-person networking, things that I knew how to do from my past, you know, two decade career. Um, And then March 13th, 2020 happened and nobody was focused on that understandably. Right. And I was not in a position to sort of or felt, didn't feel I was in a position to go out and make that ask. And so somewhere in April, um, an email showed up in my inbox that invited me to consider attending a virtual writer's retreat. And I said, hmm, that could be interesting. Maybe I'll write something. And I've always had this notion, I like to write. And I actually have always had this notion that I want to write a fiction book. I don't actually think I'm the best creative writer, but um, so I called the the folks about the writer's retreat and they're like, yeah, we have some people writing fiction and some people writing nonfiction and think about which, you know, group you want to fall into and how you want to, you know, what you want to write and let's do it. And so, you know, I said, well, if I'm going to invest money and time in this writer's retreat, I probably should use it to support my business, not to write, um, a fiction book. And, so I said, okay, well, you know, I think maybe I'll just use it to, to to sort of have some accountability to do some writing, to create some content that will support my business. But I showed up at the first meeting of that writer's retreat, which started in May 2020. And really the writing happened in June of 2020. And I said, I'm I'm not like I'm here to support y'all and I want to be committed to producing, you know, approximately, I think it was like 2,000 words a day, but I'm not writing a book. I'm just gonna create some content. And then we spent the time writing and I realized, oh, there is actually a book in here. Um, And I had, you know, a lot of like ideas about, about framework and how to approach kind of untangling your happiness and living in a way that's aligned with that in each season of your life, which is really what this book about is about. But what wasn't in there initially was any of my own story. And then because I was in this incredibly safe container with other people who were very vulnerably sharing their lives, that was what encouraged me um, to actually sit down and, and include some of my own experience in the book. So that was a very long-winded answer, but that's the story of how this book got got born. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I like how you share that there was this resistance, there was no expectation. Because I think, you know, the automatic assumption is people you know, it's like decades to write this book. But for some of us, and you and I are similar, that it came together fairly quickly once we opened the floodgates. Ted O'Brien, who was one of our other guests, he was years in research, but he was, he was like, it was like the, uh, uh, the novel of his uh, journey yep. of him going through all of it. Whereas you and I were kind of articulating some outcomes that we've already had. Yes. So what was the real like lightning bulb like moment for you when you were in that virtual writing retreat that said, I really have something to share that's worthy of putting in like a mass writing kind of uh, work of art that people should immerse themselves in and learn this way? Yeah, I mean, so a couple of things happened early in the process. The first is, and I'm going to point to the side, and I know maybe listeners can't see me, but I have a big blank wall to the left of me where I sit in my office. And so what I started to do is just put, create post-it notes of kind of what I knew to be true. And um, for those of you who don't know, I'm a lawyer by training. And so I actually wrote this book kind of the opposite way of how I 
was trained and how I wrote most things in my career, I didn't go and like try to get a bunch of evidence for how things work. I just tried to write down what I knew, what I really believed to be true. And from there came up with this framework, which then when I did the research or like applied what I already knew from the research to it, it fit, right? Not surprisingly, because the research outcomes are there for a reason. It's because they are mostly true. Um, But so this really was about like my own personal experience with myself and then with people who I had worked with over the course of years and including during, you know, in that coaching kind of space more officially. Um, But yeah, so it started with a big wall of post-it notes. And as I sort of started to organize, and that's one of the things I think I do incredibly well is taking really complex sort of tangles of information and putting them into some structure. And so once I started to create the structure, I was like, oh, this is a thing. This can be a book. This can be something that I can put in the hands of people to give them some of the tools that I use with myself and with clients to work, walk, work and walk through this process um, of untangling. And also that it can be a resource, you know, that if you're not, if you don't want to go from soup to nuts through a process of defining kind of your happiness recipe for this season, you might pick up this book and say, well, I need to work on boundary setting or saying no, or I want to understand my nervous system better. And there's kind of chapters on each of those things that you can use as a reference. The last thing I'll say is that I'm kind of a personal development. I won't say junkie, but I enjoy reading personal development books. The challenge I always have is I'm often left feeling like, okay, great idea, but how do I apply it in my life? And I really wanted to empower people with the tools to do that or begin to do that on their own here. And then when you get stuck or need more support, that's when you go and seek a mentor or a coach or someone in your life who can kind of untangle it with you. But I wanted really to leave people with tangible action they could take um, to apply the concepts I was talking about. Yeah. I love how you put the the book in the sequence of when you go and seek additional support, because sometimes I think if you jump right to additional support, which isn't great, but you spend so much time doing some other reflection that you can do using the book as that support before you get there. And I, and I 100% agree. I love your approach that give them the tools and then give them the the nudge when they need to go seek someone else to help be that guide because it is a little too messy or too entangled for them to do on their own. Yep. And there are just those, sorry, I was just gonna say there are just those moments where I've seen it in my own life or in my own, again, work with others where there's like kind of obvious places or, or standard places that people get stuck and need that outside input. So sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Actually, that's right where I was going to go. So what are like some of these standard places that people do kind of get stuck and that you found were kind of these big overriding themes that started to make you realize like, Hey, this could be a really cool kind of resource that people could tap into. Yeah. I mean, so like, let's back it out a little bit to the 30,000 foot level. And let me tell you kind of the premise or kind of what I cover in the book in a very short way. And so um, in my my work and in my life, what I've discovered is that the recipe for maximum happiness is actually deceptively simple. It is just do more of what matters to you in this season and let go of the rest. Now, simple doesn't mean easy to execute. And there are things that get in our way. And I put those things into kind of three categories or three gaps. And I call them the authenticity gap, which is really, do you know what matters most to you? The um, emotional energy gap, which is really, do you have the supportive beliefs and feelings to execute on what matters most to you and on subtracting the rest? And then there's the uh, physical energy gap or where the rubber hits the road, like actually living it, actually moving to a place where you're living more in alignment. And so where I see people, I will say, get stuck or need additional support upfront on the no gap, oftentimes 
without some outside accountability and some outside reflection, it's hard to really take stock of what's, you know, of the, of the complete picture of what is in your life right now, and then begin to identify kind of what matters most to you. Some of that conversation needs to happen with other people in your life. And then some of that conversation, just sometimes it helps to have a uninvested third party reflecting that back to you. So that's one piece where I see people needing a little, a little more support. The mindset, the middle gap, um, that knowing gap, that believing gap is a place where it is easy to get stuck without outside support. If you don't have a lot of mindset or belief shifting tools at your fingertips, that's another place where I think it makes a lot of sense to go to somebody else and say, hey, I've identified that in order to live in a way that's aligned with my happiness recipe, I need to start saying no to these things, but I'm struggling to do it. What do I need to shift? Or I need to believe that my needs are more important or equally important to others. How do I shift that? Or I need to be able to better regulate my nervous system. How do I do that? I mean, we're not wired as humans to be doing all of this alone. So seeking kind of the support that you need um, is something I really encourage, but it's about knowing what support you need. And that's what I want to empower people with is like being able to identify, okay, I've done what I can. And now I need to go find the person who's going to help me do X, Y, or Z. And then at the back end, right, I run into people who have this idea, they've worked on their mindset and they're still struggling to execute because they need more accountability or they need a different process or a different structure. And it can be helpful, again, for certain people to go outside to say, hey, I need an accountability coach or a productivity coach or somebody can help me um, take this and really implement it and stick to it. Mm -hmm. I love how the gaps just identify like these and you and you also isolated it down to saying these common places where people get stuck, but all the reasons why we need help and support the complexity and um, what that might look like at, at, at each different level. And I think it's, you know, you talk about divine timing of when you wrote this book. I mean, we went into mass quarantine and people were forced, uh, probably out of boredom at some point to really just look at their life and look at, um, their work. And I know that your story is, is very similar in revisiting kind of what you want to offer to the world. Um, and from an HR perspective, we can't ignore this fact that the great resignation is basically this rebellion of workforce saying, we're not going to do these things that we don't want anymore. But on the flip side, um, we're seeing this mass amount of people saying, ah, but I don't know what I want. So we hear, I don't want this, but I don't know what I want. And I, I feel like that's a really hard hurdle, this whole authenticity gap, which is where you start your book at. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a really hard place to be at, uh, especially if you're somebody who's never looked inward and you've been so focused on external support systems, whether that's been bosses telling you that you're good at XYZ or a loved one. Um, and building a life that you thought you're supposed to have, because we're kind of, we're taught that we're taught that yes. this is what life is supposed to look like. Um, and so what would you say to somebody? Because that's, that's, a, to me, that's one of the scariest gaps to like, the <laughs> other ones kind of evolve and move into. But, you know, when I opened up your book, me, I like, I love that it starts there. But I know other people are like, Oh, my gosh, like, is there hope for me? What does that even look like? Like, is it like, I don't know, throwing me into the deep end? Like what, talk more about that authenticity gap and how we navigate that and, and get to the other side a little bit. Yeah. Um, so there's, I have a couple thoughts. One of the, th I think naturally when we're the human 
sort of reaction to a situation where we've identified what we don't want is to go and look for the antidote to those things without really taking full picture of all the things that we want to architect in our future season. So the first thing I'll say is that I think it's critically important to try to get to a place where you're building your future happiness, you're architecting your future happiness, not escaping from your current unhappiness, if you can, Mm -hmm. right? And so- For me, that process starts with really getting clear on what is. And I mean, what is in the sense of what's taking your time, your energy, and your resources. And that energy piece is really important because a lot of times we forget to take stock of the things that are draining us that maybe aren't taking a ton of time or a ton of money, but they're really just putting a burden on us. They're really adding to our unhappiness. They're creating tension. So I think um, that's the the first piece. Um, so once you have a real clear picture on what is in your life, then you then you can look at what it is that you want, what it is that really makes you tick, what it is that has been the through line through all of the things that you've done, the, the things that have been the constants, the things that are your secret superpowers. Um, I think that's when it gets really interesting and when we can start to unlock this broader possibility creating perspective of where you might go. But what inherent in everything I just said is an actual moment of slowing down to speed up. Mm. And that is uncomfortable for people because, again, when we are in discomfort, we want to solve that discomfort quickly. But I am telling you that the long-term solution to that discomfort, the best, most sustainable solutions to that dis- discomfort come when we can when we can land where we are more fully, mm-hmm. cl- clean up where we are more fully, And then from that place, build our future happiness. Yeah. There's, you know, a lot of people who that's going to resonate with. And I think we all can agree that this concept of slowing down and doing those steps is absolutely necessary and sounds good. And some are going to say sounds good in theory. Yes. Um, You know, what what do you say to the person who's really numbed out right now, who maybe is not quite there to like, I got to make a change, but is really like miserable and not happy with the way things are going, but doesn't see like, can I afford to slow down, I guess is the question that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Like, can we afford to slow down when we have all these high demands? How do we how do we start that? And maybe I'll combine this with this question, because I think this is a great question for any author. If, you know, the key to me starting to slow down is to get this book and I start reading it, um, as the author, how would you like me to digest this book in an ideal world? How do, how do I, you know, am I committing to just reading 10 pages a day? Is there, uh, you know, how would you want me to experience this if this was my first step in slowing down? So I'll tell you how I interact with this material because I use it myself probably twice a year, sometimes more frequently if more shift, more frequent shifts have happened. But I will typically take a chapter a day and work my way through it. Because if, you know, I said from the beginning, like each chapter has some practical application pieces to it as well. And so um, that in that way, um, you can really sort of like, read the material, do the activity, and then move forward from it, you know, like move forward to the next thing. Now, if you wanted to take a half day, depending on how fast you read, and do this as sort of like a retreat for yourself, I think it's definitely consumable that way too. 
um, especially when you get into some of the later gaps, not every piece of it might be applicable to you. You might be somebody who's already really great at saying no. So you can skim right through that saying no chapter, or you might be somebody who's already great at letting go of guilt. I don't know very many people who are already great at that, but, but, but I know they do exist, right? Like I, some people, for some people, guilt is not the barrier. And so I think it's really just, you know, it's not a huge investment of time that's needed to do this work. The other piece that I will add, and, and this is not in the book, but more in the work that I do and some of the teaching that I do now is, you know, to try to employ some very minor, small, um, positive psychology techniques to begin to shift how you're viewing your world. And I'll give you just one example. Um, you know, if you're feeling really stuck and you're feeling like you can't even pick up this book yet, but you need something to get in like that un, un I forgot what you called it, but like unfrozen space, un, you know, um, start with every single day writing down at least one thing that made you smile. And I, it, and it, I deliberately say it that way. It's not something you're, it doesn't have to be something you're grateful for. It doesn't have to be something big. It could be the silly sign you saw on the way to work, the meme someone sent you. It doesn't matter what it is. It's that you are noticing it that matters. And the research on this particular intervention is kind of um, astonishing. And it tells us that it helps us actually rewire our brain. It helps us engage with our happiness in a more productive way. It helps us shift all these things around our mood in just this very bite-sized moment. And so I was talking to a client about this recently and, and they had been, you know, they had set an alarm. So every night before they go to bed, a little thing pops up. What made you smile today? And you can't help but answer it when it pops up. Right. Um, and, and we were talking about, you know, she was noticing a trend in what made her smile, that it was in particular areas of her life. And, and she's struggling with the job piece right now. And so I said, well, what if you also then, if that's the part you're struggling with, repoint that question at that. What about your job? And if it maybe it didn't make you smile, but what about your job is working today? What about your job was good today? What about your job made you feel content today? And just again, I know people like hear this kind of thing and they scoff at it and say that little thing isn't going to make a difference, but I am telling you, the research tells me it does. My experience tells me it does. And that can be enough to just shift you like you know, it's like I have this picture of like you know, you something stuck in a hole and you just like pop it free. And then all of a sudden we can begin to lift it and move it and change it. Um, and so it's really, um, that's what really needs to happen. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, that's a great idea. And I love, I mean, usually people are always like, start with the gratitude, but starting with the smile and I do that all the time. And those are some of the most joyous moments during my day when I catch myself smiling at something so something so stupid sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, and, and it's that like, it. I could go on and on and on about the research. And again, this is like the part that I did not put in the book is a whole bunch of, of the social scientific research. But I mean, the research on sort of the ways that just the experience of a positive emotion can actually shift how we look at the world, how we view problems, how we, you know, can access more possibility and more creativity. And so the more we can like, not just have them, but notice that we're having those positive emotional experiences, the better served we are when we're trying to expand our field of view, when we're trying to expand our possibility. Yeah. All right. Well, I love that you just gave a tactic that's like, could take a minute a day. You have, you know, spend maybe 20 to 30 minutes a day, you know, take a PTO day and you have a personal self-care retreat in the happiness recipe. And yep. I absolutely love that concept. I don't even know why I've never thought about that, that I could use a book as a self-care retreat, but that's absolutely, oh absolutely. Gosh, that's freaking awesome. 
Well, I have to say that I was um, revisiting. So fun fact for the listeners, Becky is really nice person because she um, was willing to come and do this interview twice because I lost the original. <laughs> so, um, but as, but it was good because it made me pick up and refresh myself about this work that you're doing. And um, my favorite quote, when I saw it, it still gives me chills. And it says, uh, this is all under the emotional energy gap. And it's all about talking about this doing for me, my mantra has uh, basically more is less. And I've been mm -hmm. saying that so many times. And just like when you just took that practice that I've always been like, do gratitude. And you're like, what makes you smile? Well, here's another example of how Becky has done this. This quote says she knows she doesn't need to do more to be more. She recognizes she must do more of what matters and less of the rest and i don't like that just it, yeah and i've always been a somebody and i think this vibes with a lot of people we have to do more to be more mm -hmm. and that's not really the case there's so many things that we're doing every single day that are not necessary they're like fillers so that we don't have to look at our authenticity and do those deeper dives that's right it's so that we don't have to look at our authenticity we don't have to acknowledge our our I won't like we acknowledge our our sort of like higher level discomfort, but we might have this like middle messy middle discomfort and it's, you know, we keep busy so we don't have to look at that. Like there's we keep busy so we don't have to interact with emotions that we're not comfortable with. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that we fill our lives. And I think, you know, when I talk about the rec the recipe for maximum happiness and I talk about do more of what matters and less of the rest, I um like I kind of say it in a way where like the less of the rest is a throwaway, but actually that's where the magic is. It's when you can start to create some space. I mean, like, you know what? We talked about that person who's feeling a little stuck. I mean, if the very first thing you do were to, was to subtract some things that are filler, you've just given yourself the gift of room to redirect energy to work on this stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, everyone wants to know how to do time management and that's... <laughs> That's the key right there is to get rid of some of these fillers. We can't create more time, but we can use our time more wisely and yes. have it serve us greater. And yes, I swear sometimes when we do that, time seems to move slower sometimes too. It, I mean, you can do some fun things with time when you really start to sort of start to play with it. And, you know, I have, I, there's a, another person that I was talking to recently who made the point and it's an obvious point, but like when people even resist this notion of like tracking what smile, what made them smile every day. And they're like, well, I don't know, when am I going to do that? And I don't have time. And I told you about the person who put the, um, the alarm on their phone kind of at bedtime. Well, you could equally put a sticky note on your mirror and do it while you're brushing your teeth because you brush mm -hmm. Most people brush their teeth at least once mm -hmm. a day. Most people. Most people. I mean, <laughs> right. And so, so, I mean, like it, it, what's so interesting is we, like we say we don't have time and yet we make time. We make time for that skincare routine. We make time for brushing our teeth. We make time for um, doing our hair. I mean, and not to say, I'm not saying like give up those things, but I'm saying like, what else could you do with that time or with those moments? Um, and, and if you can make time for those things, you're telling me you truly can't find two or three or six minutes to do something that is ha going to have a measurable impact on how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. I love that. So if you had to give me a 30 second snippet of who is the ideal reader for this book. So if I'm still saying, is this for me? 
Who is that person? I was going to say people, but um, <laughs> but no, true. Everyone. Oh, 30 seconds. People. Everyone. No, I will say this. I, I actually think like um, what I have heard from the people who have read the book is that they find it most beneficial when they are facing a transition of some sort. And that doesn't mean they have to be in it. They just see it coming. So I'm, I'm, you know, anticipating a change to my um, parental status. Like I'm going to have kids or kids are going to change the way, you know, go to go back to school or I'm an empty nester. I'm anticipating that I want to make a change in my career or my job. I'm anticipating that my job might be up leveling. I think, you know, because this really looks at like, how do I architect a, a season of my life to be sort of aligned with this happiness recipe, it is helpful if you can sort of look at it from, okay, like next season, you know, coming soon season, how do I want it to be set up? Um, and I think, so So that is one piece. Um, but I've had a wide range of readers from people who have sort of very high power careers I work with, because I'm a lawyer, I work with a lot of lawyers and law firms. Um, but it, I also work with people who, um, have totally different types of careers, more physically demanding types of careers, or who are stay-at-home parents. I think it's really, I mean, the concepts in this book are applicable to almost everyone. It's about finding the, finding yourself in it and how you want to do it. And that's really, I mean, there's nothing in this book that is prescriptive in, in any way. It's, you know, let's, it's really an experiment and let's play with these concepts and see how it fits with your life. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to bring it up because I've seen since the last time that we chat that you are now part of the podcasting family. You're podcasting too. Yeah. So I have two, I co-host two podcasts um, because that's how I talk about them. And they are two very different podcasts. So I have one podcast. It is called Coaching Carrie. And I co-host that with another lawyer turned coach who also happens to be a Sex in the City fan. And we do an episode by episode recap of Sex in the City through the lens of thinking about as coaches, what might we have asked those characters? It's a, it's a quirky little twist, but it's been a lot of fun. So it's like, you've got to, you've got to be willing to engage with sex in the city. You've got to like pop culture, and then you've got to kind of be interested in coaching and personal development. Um, But we are three seasons into that podcast and you can start at the very beginning if you want, or jump in in the middle. It doesn't much matter. Excuse me. And then um, just launched a podcast in May called Practice Wellbeing, which is a well-being podcast that I co-host um, with another <clears throat> um, woman who went to law school and has worked in the legal industry for her whole career, focused on um, well-being and performance in the legal industry. But really, the concepts there, again, are for everyone. You don't have to be a lawyer or in the legal industry to engage with them. Yeah. Cool. So you can also find more of Becky Morrison at those podcasts. And I'll make sure that we link those in the show notes as well as how to find your book. So I always have to ask now, because I'm just super curious, what are you actively reading right now? So, I mean, I'll be really brutally honest with you. I'm actively reading nothing right now. Um, (laughs) And it is because we're in the midst of a 500 mile move. And so I'm, I'm missing my reading, but I am all kinds of things stacked up. What is in my stack currently? Um, So I've been really interested and I I can't um, recommend or not recommend this book, but, but somebody else recommended it to me and it is called my grandmother's hands. I have that on my list too. Someone recommended that to me as well. 
and it talks about trauma and healing. And um, I'm really, and in particular, I think it is written by a person of color and so comes at it in particular from that um, lens, which I'm, I'm um, eager to learn from. So that's on my summer reading list, along with some other business related stuff. But um, yeah, that's where I'm headed next, where I, I mean, kind of most recently, it's, it's actually embarrassing. I mean, and we're probably talking about, you know, the big leap or atomic habits have been really both good books that I've read, but not again, not recently. That's okay. I think that's, but I mean, I think that's the human nature. I think sometimes people think like we're reading all the time and there's times where my list sits and I love, they can't see this, but like Becky's like turning around. And as soon as she did that, I saw her. Yeah, book I mean, pile. I have, so, like, I, have, we all I, have. I do. It's right there. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Yeah. I feel so much better about that because that's what my house looks like. And I have like them sorted by category as I'm slowly working them through. So yeah. that's great. Well, Becky, anything else that you want to share in relation to this book or for the listeners? No, general? the only thing I'll add is if you, if, and when you do buy the book, there is a link to download a companion workbook for free. The companion workbook doesn't have a whole lot of extra content, but if you're somebody who likes to put pen to paper, it gives you the opportunity to print out some of the activities and have a place to do them that is not inside of the actual book. That's awesome. I love things like that. So that's a great little bonus there. Well, Becky, I'm so grateful for you and grateful that you joined me once again to talk about your book so that we can share it with our listeners. And thank you to everybody else for listening. And I will talk to you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Heartworker Book Club podcast. I hope that it served you. And if it did, the best way that you can support this podcast is by leaving a review on your favorite listening platform. And until next time, happy reading and writing.